Welcome to the Desert City Church podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given at one of our Sunday gatherings. We invite you to listen to how the story of Scripture is forming our new church. We are currently in a series entitled Desert City Originals, and we're talking about our vision, DNA, and dreams as a church. We're almost three years in, and we feel like we're just getting started. And our hope is that this message will help you become more like Jesus. As you pursue God, may you find your true self. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, let us know. Grace, peace, and much love. Go ahead and come in and find a seat. John chapter 20. Let's start in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his, to his disciples and he says, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, Marcy sent me to the store to buy a new antenna. And uh, we are uh, living the millennials' life, so we don't have cable. We, uh, we have Netflix. Does anyone in here have Netflix? Yes. I know this probably sounds late to the game, uh, but yeah, we you know, switched over from cable. We really don't watch TV anymore. Um, we just watch Netflix. We binge watch shows. It's great. Uh, Netflix is a super interesting uh, phenomenon in our culture. It has become like the largest entertainment company in the world. Uh, most people don't realize this, but Netflix started back in 1997. So it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that to start uh, an entertainment uh, tech company in 1997, it means it, it survived the dot-com bubble. So if you're over 35, you know that's a big deal, right? Like it it's a startup, it survived the dot-com bubble. Um, and it's in, in the year 2000, Blockbuster Video offered to purchase Netflix for $50 million. Remember Blockbuster Video? Uh, it's, it's strange to think they had that capital at one point, right? Uh, they offered to buy it for $50 million, and Netflix declined. People thought they were crazy. Uh, back in 2007, uh, Netflix's uh, business model changed to online demand, online streaming, completely revolutionized uh, the entertainment industry. Um, by 2013, uh, there were over 40 million subscribers worldwide. And I think at that point, you know, we were locked into something like $7 a month to have a subscription. So $40 million, 40 million people at $7 a month, you could do the math of what that annual income would be uh, for that company. So 2017, they're celebrating a 20-year kind of anniversary and it's been insane growth, just completely changed culture. How we interact, how we consume entertainment, Netflix has just completely changed. It's become such a big phenomenon uh, that 
This is interesting that the, the Russian minister of culture, Vladimir Bedinsky, asserted that Netflix is part of the U.S. government plot to influence world culture. <laughs> this is how big this thing has gotten. The Russians are freaking out. He says, to enter every home, get into every television, uh, and through that television, television into the head of every person on earth. This is a, a plot from the U.S. government. So like somewhere out there, like the Riddler from Batman is like, great idea. You know, like Netflix has gotten so big that the Russians are concerned about its influence. Uh, back in 2013 also, uh, it started not only being just an entertainment company, but it started producing content. So Kevin Spacey's House of Cards came out. House of Cards ended up becoming this huge phenomenon. Uh, people binge-watched it. It became kind of this vir viral show. And it was interesting because it wasn't produced by one of these large Hollywood production companies. It was produced by Netflix, the online streaming company. They started producing original content. Uh, it was so popular that Arrested Development, the, the show that had this cult following and ended up kind of going away, came back and decided to produce a fourth season through Netflix. So now, not only are they all over the place in the homes of everywhere, they're, they're producing their own content. They call them Netflix originals. Netflix has been something that uh, changes culture. It's now uh, the ability to shape culture. Uh, it's the way people consume, uh, consume entertainment. It's just absolutely exploded in 20 years. And I wanted to, to talk about that because as we consider kind of who we are as a church, where we're going, what we're doing, um, I by no means think that we're the next Netflix, right? I mean, that would be super arrogant. And it probably, like, uh, to, to think that that's what our purpose was would be probably foolish. But the truth is we're a part of a movement that's much bigger than Netflix, a movement that's much older than Netflix, a movement that spread even faster than Netflix. And that movement is the body of Christ. It's the church, global and historic. This movement of people, these Jesus people, uh, who have completely, uh, completely spread throughout the earth, throughout the world. And it starts with this conversation when Jesus comes and he comes and he dies on the cross and he's raised from the dead in the resurrection. And then he meets with the disciples and he says, just as God sent me into this world, I'm sending you. The Desert City Church is this local expression of this giant, eternal kingdom. And what we're doing here in North Phoenix is this uh, original idea of a group of people who band together, who are transformed by Jesus and say, uh, we want to be a Jesus community. And there's all sorts of expressions of what this eternal kingdom looked like. There's different expressions throughout the world. There's different expressions in our city. But we want to be this local expression here and now. It says, what is God up to and how can we join with him? So for the next three or four weeks, this one I want to talk about. What does it look like to be this local expression? To be originals, followers of Jesus. Some definitions on the word original. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Originals. Um, that's fascinating, but they define original this way. It says, original as an adjective is the origin or source of something 
from which something springs, proceeds, or is derived. So as an adjective, original means the origin or source of something, from which something springs, proceeds, or is derived. Original as a noun, a thing of singular or unique character, a person who is different from other people in an appealing or interesting way, a, a person of fresh initiative or inventive capacity. Love those words. And I'm, I'm reading these words about the definition of an original, and I'm thinking, like, these, this is the definition of a follower of Jesus. Right? I mean, the, the origin of source or something from which something springs. We think about our story as followers of Jesus. A thing of singular or unique character. A person who is different from others in an appealing or interesting way. I mean, that's the hope, right? Like, if we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't that be good news to the community? A person of fresh initiative and inventive capacity. I love that idea. The story of humanity and God uh, is, is told through the scriptures. We have this narrative of, of our history, of our interaction, and we want to go back to the source. We go back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. And I think it's important to start in Genesis chapter 1 when we think about our story. Because sometimes I think uh, we forget about the origin and the source of who we are as humans. In Genesis 1, starting at verse 26, when it talks about the creation, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, all, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The source. We spring to life from the source, who is God. God creates us unique. And he creates us in a way that's different than the rest of creation. And, and he says that all of creation is good, but something happens when he creates human, human, humanity. It, it, we're created in the image of God. To be human is to bear the image of God. This Latin phrase, the imago Dei. Have you heard of the imago Dei? All of us bear this image. And it's interesting to think this when we talk about the Christian story. And when we talk about the gospel. Because wrapped up in the Christian story is that there's something wrong with humanity. Right? We understand that there's a brokenness. There's a tension. There's, we, we define it as sin, which means missing the mark of what we were designed to be. But when we start the story in the beginning, we're reminded that to be human is to be created unique in the image of God. And we find in this creation story that humans are given this calling to manage the creation, to bear the image of God to the rest of the world. We are bearers of God's image. Original, the origin of source or something. Our source as humans is God from which something springs. Some of the early uh, writers of scripture picked up on this idea, this idea of us being originals made in God's image. Uh, there's this fascinating passage in Colossians, which is this letter from the apostle Paul to the church, uh, the Colossians church, and he says this, when he's talking about our humanity, he says, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed 
in knowledge in the image of its creator. Being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So when we talk about Desert City, we talk about our vision and DNA. Desert City desires to be a place that joins God in the renewal of human beings. This is a place where we want people to find renewal. A place where people uh, come into these doors carrying all sorts of baggage, stress, brokenness. And we remind them that you're created in the image of God. We also often hear the phrase, well, when we mess up, I'm just human. I'm only human. And it's almost like this cop-out, well, of course I'm going to break, I'm going to mess up. I'm a human being. But there's this reminder in the scripture that, well, you're human. You're created in the image of God. You have unbelievable potential to live up to. And when we start to see this idea of renewal, what we find is that as God puts our life back together, when we have the story of the cross that, that Jesus came, takes the punishment for our sin on the cross, conquers death and sin, rises from the dead. When we step into this story of salvation, what we find is that the story isn't just for our own salvation. That's a huge part of it. But we're, we're invited not just to receive salvation, we're invited to transformation. To be a certain kind of people, a particular people here on earth that lives this story that joins God in the, wor- the work of renewing other human beings. There's a a calling that comes with this identity, following Jesus. There's a story in Exodus 31. uh, And the story is fascinating because it's about a man named uh, Bezel Alel, or Bez Alel. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. And it's a great story. uh, And I think it's a very significant story. But it's a story we don't hear a lot about. And I think this guy had like a super great calling. Um, for whatever reason, we don't name our sons after Bezalel. Um, but I want to just read this story, and some of the details are interesting. It says, you know, this is after, after the exodus, after Moses leads his people out to the wilderness, and they're starting to kind of establish shop and figure out what does it mean to be the people of God here and now. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. I feel like that had, should have like a Z at the end of it, all kinds of skills, right? <laughs> I've got skills, mad skills. Skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Ohaliab, son of Ahazamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And also I have given him an ability uh, with all the skilled workers to make everything I have commended you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant. And he starts going on about these skills that these guys have. And the skills that they're, they're, they've been given uh, to help establish right, the tabernacle, the place of worship. And I think what's so interesting in this passage is this is the first time we find someone that's been filled with the Spirit of God. God says, I've filled this 
person with my spirit to do these tasks. And it's a smith. He's working with stones, precious metals. And it's interesting because Moses is a leader here, and God doesn't say, I've, done, I've, I've come to Moses to do this, I've come to Aaron, or I've come to Joshua. He comes to some man named Bel-Azel and says, I've, I've filled him with my spirit to do a sacred task. And it's a very ordinary task, but it's sacred because this is what he's been designed by God to do. The point of the story is that God's plan was that the community would be enriched when people were doing what he had created them to do. God's plan was that the community would be enriched when people were doing what he created them to do. Every human made in the image of God has been given different gifts and passions that enrich the community. And when we think about this idea of building a church together, uh, building a community that's on mission, Every single one of you, God has placed in your heart a calling. He has placed in your heart gifting. Uh, And you might be wondering, like, what is my part? Bez Al-El, filled with the Spirit of God to do ordinary tasks. And in the midst of that, something sacred happens. There's this original work. I also think it's great that it says he's filled with God's Spirit. When, When Jesus says to his disciples, just as... God has sent me. I am sending you. Now receive my Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, it talks about how the Holy Spirit fills God's people. This presence of God lives inside of us, and it empowers us, and it it initiates these gifts that we use for the common good. One passage talks about how all of these gifts are played out by a community, the body of Christ, in different ways. And if it's teaching, let that person teach. And if it's serving, let that person serve. And if it's understanding complex Excel sheets, it's, it's doing that. I'm sure that's what the Greek means, right? Like, there's, there's all sorts of different things that God has placed in our heart. And his spirit empowers us to use those gifts to join him in this kingdom work of renewing human beings. And here at Desert City, what we want to do is, is take a group of people and say, what are the things that God has placed in your heart? And how can we align you in those places? to join God in the work of this kingdom here and now. I think one of the things that I've found in my life um, as I consider my own gifts and talents and things that I want to do and my own agenda, um, I've realized that the more I pursue God, the more I find out uh, my true self. The more I pursue God, uh, the more I understand my own identity the more I become original in my thinking, the less I try to be someone else. The more that we pursue God as a community, the more we understand who he's calling us to be. Early on in my life, uh, I started reading C.S. Lewis. I wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, and I I love like fantasy books. Um, So I started reading C.S. Lewis, and what I found is that in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's there's a great depth to his theology. That even at a young age, I started to, to read. As I read the Chronicles of Narnia, I started reading some of his other writings. And one of my favorite books is Mere Christianity. And here's an amazing quote when he, when he talks about this idea of as we pursue God, we find our true self. It's kind of a long quote, but it's so good I wanted to read it. It says, your real new self, which is Christ and also yours, and yours just because it is his, will not come 
as long as you are looking for it. It'll come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original, whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence how often it is has been told before, you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. And the principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give yourself up and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes, every day and death to your, of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber. It's a very British way of spelling fiber. Every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really truly be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. When we pursue God, when we look to Christ, we find our true self. We become originals. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Uh, my son Micah um, is really tall for his age, and it's exciting for me as a dad because I think he's going to be a basketball player. <laughs> I played basketball in high school, um, and, uh, and so pretty excited to see Micah going back to my old high school to do camps and learning to play basketball. Thing is, as he's really tall for his age, he's like super uncoordinated. He's like a puppy that hasn't grown into his body yet. So as he gets on the basketball court, he's like taller than everyone his age, but he gets pushed around like crazy. And it's actually quite frustrating to watch because I'm like, dude, you should be dominating. Getting all the rebounds, come on, man. And he's like, I don't got it in me, dad. Like, leave me alone. And I'm like, you have so much potential because you're so tall. Um, and, and, and he's kind of interested, but just not like super interested in basketball. So I'm like, that's cool, you know. Marcy and I went on a date a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. Dropped off our kids at the grandparents' house, my mom and dad's house. And um, my parents have a piano in their living room. And so we drop off the kids, and my sister's there, and my mom's there. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to play the piano with Micah. I think I might have told the story before. It's, it's crazy to me. Uh, Marcy and I go out, go on a date, come back. It's like an hour and a half later. And we walk in the door, and there's Micah sitting on the piano. And he's playing the piano. And he's playing like Mary Had a Little Lamb. And he's like, Dad, watch. And not only is he playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, he sings it. He's singing and playing piano. And I'm staring at him like, what in the world? How, how are you doing that? And I'm like, have, have you been doing this for a while? And my sister's like, no. He's been doing it for like an hour. He just like picked it up, and he started playing and singing, and I'm like, if you know me and Marcy, we have like zero music talent. Like we have no music talent at all. We're tone deaf, we, I, I tried to play the saxophone when I was a kid, my parents made me quit, because it was so bad. I'm like what kind of parent makes your kid quit something? How bad it was. But here's Micah, like picking up the piano, he's, he's, he's a natural. And it's like, I don't, you know, we're, we're all gifted in different ways, and it's so fun as a father to watch these gifts start to come out of your children. 
And for Micah, there's these natural things that God's placed on his heart that we start to see at an early age. And I think all of us have that. All of us have these different skills. And oftentimes, what happens is like we either forget what those early passions or skills are, or the world happens. We get distracted, we get hurt, we get beat up. And we forget that we're created in the image of God to do significant things in this world. And the more that we pursue God, the more that we seek him, the more that we lean into these natural gifts, we become originals in this world. Second thing that we do, the more we pursue God, it's the first thing, the more we find our true self. The second thing is the more that we give ourselves away, the more that our lives grow. This is a principle of the kingdom. The more I give of myself, the more my heart grows, the more my world grows. And this is counterintuitive to our culture. We kind of think we want to hoard everything or gain everything for our own glory. But the kingdom principle is the more that we give ourselves away, the more our life, our heart, our spirit grows in this world. C.S. Lewis hits on that in that quote that I just read. But here are some of the words of Jesus. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And John says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In Matthew, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So there's this act as a follower of Jesus of of sacrifice, of death to our own ambition. But in the process, when we do that, God gives us a life back that is so much more fulfilling than we could have ever imagined on our own. As we pursue God, as we give ourselves away to him, we find true life, life that is eternal and fulfilling and significant and sacred. As we give ourselves away, our life grows. So wrapping up, there's a couple of things that keep us from originality. The first is this. Do not try to be someone else. Be yourself. Do not try to be someone else. God has designed you uniquely in his image, and you might look different than everyone else, but when you lean into that originality becomes a gift to the world. And when you look at other people and compare your life, it robs you of joy. It robs you of originality. This might be controversial, but I love LeBron James, one of my favorite basketball players. I know for Cleveland. I just like it that he's on the Lakers or Celtics. So. Uh, but what's amazing with LeBron James is when he was kind of coming onto the scene, everyone is like, he's the next Michael Jordan. No, he's the next Magic Johnson. Like, they wanted to, to compare him to someone else. And LeBron's like, I'm the next LeBron James, right? I'm going to be my own person. And I love that idea. And I think we live in this culture where it's like we, we try to aspire to be someone else. And God's call in our heart is just be who I've created you to be and be the best version of yourself. Because when you do that, it's a gift to the world. The second thing is don't be consumed about your own fulfillment. If you want to be original, don't be consumed about your own fulfillment, your own glory, uh, the need to be acknowledged and noticed and appreciated. I find that the people that are the most original, sometimes the most significant, have like no awareness 
that it's all about them. They live life where they're giving themselves away. They create things uh, not because they want recognition for it, but because they have to create things. There's this beauty into their creativity because that's who they're designed to be. Don't seek just to do it for your own glory. I believe that when you do this, it points people to God, points people to Jesus and not herself. In closing, there's this words from John Ortberg, great pastor, great author. He says this about this idea of originality. He says, your flourishing is never just about you. It is a so that kind of condition. God designed you to flourish so that you could be a part of his redemptive project in ways that you otherwise could not. He wants you to flourish so that people can be encouraged Gardens can be planted, music can be written, sick people can be helped, companies can thrive in ways that otherwise they would not. When you fail to become the person God designed, all of the rest of us miss out on the gift that you were made to give. Love that idea. When we're original, when we pursue God, we find our true self, our lives become a gift to others. And this is what it means for us here and now. As we start talking about kind of who we are as a community, this is more kind of the indi- as the individual. It has implications for us corporately, too, as a church. But it has huge in- implications for us individually. I was having coffee uh, with another church planner who tried to come into Desert Ridge and plant a church. And I don't know if you know much about this community, but there's been at least seven church plants that have come in here. And a few months ago, I was meeting with this church planner who came in, and they didn't make it. They weren't able to establish a church here. And I was talking about kind of like what went wrong and like what to look out for and telling him like our desire is to be a faithful presence here. You know, we want to be here long term. And one of the things he told me was this. He said, our desire was to transform this community for Jesus. But we weren't willing to allow Jesus to transform our own hearts. And if we want to be a people who transform this community for Jesus... We have to allow Jesus to transform us first. It happens individually in our soul. It happens in our community groups. It happens in all the teams that serve in different ways. It happens for us as a church. To say, we're going to start here. And say, God, transform my heart. I want to be who you've created me to be. All the things that entangle me, hinder me, Keep me from being a gift to others, Lord. I want to surrender those to you. And this is where we start as a church, looking inward. When we become who God created us to be, our lives become gifts to others. We become local expressions of an eternal kingdom. The man's going to come back up. I'm going to take some time doing something that we do each week. Each week, we close our service with communion. Communion, the elements, the sacrament, the Eucharist, we have different names for it. But it communicates something about the work that we're all a part of. Communion represents the work that God has done in this world for us and the work that he invites us to join in on. So every week at the end of the service, we center our lives around this meal called the Eucharist. We take bread which represents the body of Christ, God who became human. 
And in our story, we, we know that God breaks his body open on the cross. And we take juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed, that was poured out. <coughs> through this breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood, our sins are washed away. All the ways that we uh, miss the mark, all the ways that we've been broken, all of the things that have happened to us that were painful, all the things that we've done to others that are painful, all of this washed away by the breaking open of the body and the pouring out of the blood. But then as we come to the table, we're reminded not only of what God does, but we proclaim it, that this story of this renewal of human beings, we join in that work, both individually and corporately. And maybe today as we come to the table, there's things in your own life that you need to get right with God. The invitation is to surrender those things, to pursue God, to find your true self. Maybe you've never considered what that looks like and it's for the first time you're starting to understand what relationship with God looks like. It's not just about, just about bringing freedom in your own life, but it's also transforming you to be the person God has created you to be. And if you've never considered that, we invite you to the table today and say, we invite you to a life of surrender. And in this surrender, we find that you find true freedom, true life, life eternal. So we come to the table today, let's reflect on these words, what they mean for us, that Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Let's allow God to speak to our hearts, to move us, to stir us, to empower us, to fill us with his spirit that our lives may be gifts to others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this community of people. This body that you are forming. We all come from different backgrounds. We come from different places in our story. Yet we're all here today, Lord. We want to experience you. We're so grateful for your love for us, your sacrifice, the story that you created us in your image, and that means that you love us, and you love us so much you're willing to die for us. Lord, may we be willing to live for you. We ask that you stir our hearts this morning, that you breathe the life of your spirit into us that we start to see all of our tasks not as just ordinary or mundane, but everything is sacred. That you would use us, Lord, as instruments of your reconciliation, joining you in the renewal of human beings. We give you this time. We love you.